This is Jason Holleran. I proudly served for 33 years, culminating as the Deputy Commandant at West Point. Put this on your calendar. World War II weekend inside Old Bethpage Village Restoration on Long Island. Scores of operational vintage armor in formation May 18th and 19th. Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman invites you to join him in saluting America's greatest generation and all those who have worn the uniform in defense of our freedoms. That's May 18th and 19th, presented by the Museum of American Armor. The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. Good morning, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm superstar Frank Morano. My hat's off to all of the people that have been leading the grassroots opposition to sheltering migrants in communities and in places that they're completely ill-equipped to be housed. I'm talking about Curtis Lewa, John Tobacco, Scott Lebedo, and Staten Island Borough President Vito Fasella. A huge day on this front yesterday as there were Staten Islanders applauding as dozens of migrants were removed from the controversial St. John's Villa Academy shelter yesterday, days after the fire department declared the building a fire hazard, which, of course, it is. There were some 200 asylum seekers packed into buses and taken to the Roosevelt Hotel in Manhattan, which led to a massive celebration among Staten Islanders who staged protests for weeks over the use of the facility. Here was Staten Island Borough President Vito Fasella on the Katz and Cosby show here on WABC yesterday. There was a migrant shelter that we've been talking about for, for quite some time in the Aracar section. It's an old old girls Catholic high school, St. John Villa, and across the street from St. Joseph Hill Academy and another public school. And as you know, and you've been allowing us to voice our concern, that was a bad location and a bad spot and inappropriate. And uh, today, the last migrant moved out because the city shut it down. Wow. So, the big victory for the people of Staten Island and, and all those folks who came out every day and didn't let up and then wanted their voice to be heard and their voice was heard and partnered stood united with almost every elected official on Staten Island to keep the pressure on. Vito was right. They should never have been there in the first place. The use of the closed-down St. John's Villa to house hundreds of migrants last month was something that just ignited the community, and it goes far beyond not in my backyard. Well, is there an element of that? Yeah. Who wants to be living next door to 200 mostly male, unvetted, undocumented, illegal aliens that nobody knows who they are, nobody knows where they came from. Nobody knows what the story is. I don't blame the community for not wanting them in their backyard. We'll see what happens in Midland Beach now if they can turn that location back into something like senior housing, which is badly needed on Staten Island. That would be incredibly impressive. To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. 77 WABC. Local Spotlight. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm Frank Morano. We've talked a lot about Rikers Island on this program. I think it should remain open as a place for city jails. But I also think there should be a discussion about housing the migrants there. There's space and there's facilities. There's an infrastructure. But the New York Daily News has an absolutely fascinating 
article inside a shuttered Rikers Island jail. City investigators in November of 2020 discovered a secret lounge with leather couches and a giant TV screen. There were caches of correction department equipment, and apparently this has been a huge mystery that remains unsolved almost three years later. Who stashed this equipment and built up this secret lounge and why? We don't know if it was Department of Correction workers. That's what some people suspect. We don't know if maybe it was inmates. But this was a 90-year-old facility. It's in the James A. Thomas Center. And those of you that have either been to Rikers Island visiting someone or uh, worked there or been arrested and had to stay there, you'll recognize that that 90-year-old facility was vacated in 2015 after being condemned because of extensive lead and asbestos contamination and the lack of a working fire safety system. The old jail was officially declared off-limits to everyone after its closure, but somehow, and that's why they think it might be workers, they used correction department plywood to raise a floor in the building and put down wall-to-wall carpeting, install a bathroom. They hacked into plumbing and electrical lines to snatch power and water. This is absolutely extraordinary. The investigators found hundreds of thousands of dollars in correction department equipment purchased with taxpayer money, including 17 $2,000 snowblowers still with their factory tags and stacks of remote-controlled air conditioners still in the boxes. They also found 339 unused lockers that cost $230,000 and untouched desks. Who stashed this equipment there? Who built this secret lair? I hope they're able to get to the bottom of this, and I can't believe they haven't been able to do so already. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. You know, it's funny. I was visiting my cousin Liz over the weekend, and my Aunt Camille votes by absentee. And she's starting to ask me questions about what's going to appear on the ballot. There are a number of ballot propositions, so she was asking me about them. And I thought some of you might be curious about them as well. Over the last few years, those of us in New York State have been asked whether or not to approve ballot proposals that would allow private casinos. That was approved. Whether or not we should create a mail-in voting system. That was rejected and borrow billions of dollars to combat climate change. That was approved. This year, these same voters will be asked a pair of ballot questions that are, to be honest and to be charitable, pretty boring. On election day and during early voting, voters across New York will weigh in on limits for local governments and schools who borrow money, though perhaps not their local government and school. Despite one of those proposals only applying to school districts in 57 small cities, 
voters across the Empire State will determine their fate. One of their proposals is the latest step in a decades-long quest by smaller school districts to achieve parity with most of the other school districts in the state. The other is a routine once-a-decade extension focused on sewage treatment facilities. I know, it sounds very exciting. So proposal one involves changing the debt limit for small city schools. This applies specifically to small city school districts. That's any city with fewer than 125,000 people. White Plains, New Rochelle, Mount Vernon, Newburgh, etc. As it stands, the state constitution says those districts have a debt limit, the maximum amount they can borrow that's equal to 5% of the total value of taxable property in their city. That's half the debt limit of most school districts in New York State, which can borrow up to 10%. If we approve Proposal 1, that 5% debt limit would be eliminated. Instead, they would revert to the 10% limit. I'm probably going to vote yes, because why should those small districts be treated any differently than the big ones? Proposal 2 involves extending an exception for sewage facility projects. This has to do with the local debt limits in the state constitution. Under the current constitution, every municipality in the state has a limit on the amount of debt it can take out, but the constitution includes a carve-out for sewage treatment facilities. Basically, if a city has to borrow to repair a sewage treatment plant or even build a new one, that doesn't count against their debt limit. Once every 10 years, New York asks voters whether they want to extend that carve-out for sewage plants. This year, if voters vote yes, it's going to be extended through 2034. I'm going to vote yes, but I wouldn't blame you if your eyes glazed over. They're pretty mundane, but people keep asking me about what these questions are. I thought I'd do my best to explain them in three minutes. Beam me up! To be continued. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Other Side of Midnight. Local Spotlight. Mayor Eric Adams is getting a lot of plaudits and a lot of praise from people that are typically critical of him for his response to the Hamas terrorist attacks on Israel. A lot of people praising him, a lot of columnists that generally never write anything positive about him. They're saying he's striking exactly the right tone. No equivocating or anything like that. He is steadfast in his support of Israel and his opposition to Hamas. But in an appearance yesterday on MSNBC's Morning Joe, Mayor Eric Adams is being criticized from the left yet again for doing something that I think all of us have seen him do repeatedly, which is exaggerate to the extreme and maybe even lie. Here was Mayor Eric Adams on MSNBC. Now, anti-Semitism uh, has no room in this city. There's no place for hate in this city. And it really, I think, was despicable uh, while our uh, Jewish brothers and sisters were mourning uh, the immediate aftermath of the slaughter uh, that we saw in Israel, that you had uh, the DSA and others of uh, carrying swastikas and uh, calling for uh, the extermination of Jewish people. That's not acceptable. So it wasn't immediately clear what the mayor was referring to, but there is no evidence that any DSA members, many of whom are themselves Jews, 
carried swastikas or called for the extermination of Jewish people. A spokesperson for the mayor told City and State that the mayor was referring to a Palestinian solidarity rally that was held in Times Square on October 8th. So now the New York City chapter of DSA is furious and they are calling the mayor out for lying about them. They say they disavowed the rally and even though they're not backing off their criticism of Israel, they said they had no rally and there was never any DSA-endorsed elected official or candidate that participated in anything where there were swastikas. They're claiming that this is defamation. We'll see where this goes from here, but uh, this is yet another chapter in Mayor Eric Adams versus the far left in this city. And I just wish the mayor would not hurt his own cause, especially when he's being praised by going the extra mile and making up things. Beam me up! To be continued.